Welcome to More Than a Budget, a podcast presented by Relational Media. Co-founders Jeff Fine Thomas, a licensed marriage and family therapist, and John Mitchell, a certified financial planner, combine the fields of psychology and personal finance to help couples improve their relationships and discover what is more important than money. So one of the things that Linda and I were talking about before the podcast that I thought was really encouraging was Linda was saying how she typically really likes to understand what the values are of the family that she's working with. And just as we have said since the beginning, um, money has no conscience. Um, You can use the same $100 for good or evil. It has no concern as to which way it gets used. Um, All of these things that we're talking about, you know, like ownership, and we're going to talk about some of the documents that people typically um, use here in a minute. But all of these documents in and of themselves do not complete the process. They are also without conscience. They only do what they are programmed and told to do. And if they're not being thought about within the scope of the values that a family has, you may not get the outcomes um, that you want, and you may get outcomes that, quite frankly, you really do not want. Um, So if I can, Linda, could you go through... Maybe we can start with, you know, kind of like the basics of a will and some of the durable documents. And then when we're done, we'll kind of finish up with a trust and why it, it's somewhat different. But if we can just cover some of these basics so that people understand what some of the basic, well, the bases that we need to cover as adults in this world from a legal standpoint. Thank you, John. Yes, I'd be happy to. And just a word for sort of the under 40, which I'm not. Uh, I've practiced law 42 years, and so I'm, <clears throat> I have a collection of war stories, which really would be a soporific. Uh, <laughs> so I will spare them, but just to say that it's, it is a, an instructive um, exercise to see people people's level of comfort or discomfort in talking about uh, end-of-life planning or continuation of, of family values, however you want to, what rubric you want to put it under, uh, that's a more positive uh, way of thinking of it. But what's going to happen when I'm no longer here, and, and how can I continue and express my values um, through my choices now for even after I'm gone? And so... Even for those of you who listeners who may be uh, young and think, well, I don't have enough assets to mess with this. I will do that later when I make my first million, or maybe we'll do it later when we have children, or maybe we'll do it uh, later when we're ready to put mom and pop in an assisted living center, and then we'll all get together and go um, do that. There is there is good reason to do this once you're an adult, because things can happen, things we don't like to anticipate. But with, um, with modern medicine, it's possible to keep somebody's heart beating and their, bl- and their blood flowing and even their breathing going long after they're sentient. And no one thinks that will happen to them, but it can happen, and that could happen to a 22-year-old. It could happen to a 40-year-old. It can happen to an 80-year-old. There are uh, 
other choices that have to be made. So this is this that we're talking about does apply to uh, in young individuals, young adults, and people with uh, young young families. Okay, um, the difference, kind of the basic difference um, between a will and, say, a trust. Do you want to talk about that now? Let's hold the trust for the end. Okay. And let's start with, just like we say, a will mm-hmm. and some of the basic durable documents. Okay. Uh, a will is a document that a person who is competent, that means they, are, they have mental competence, uh, can craft to, the, to their own idiosyncrasies if they want. But it generally includes, I mean, you can, you can say, I want at my funeral them to play Otis Redding singing, sitting on the dock of the bay. You can say all kinds of quirky things in it. Uh, you can give down to the last detail. You can do generic categories. But basically... Uh, what the law requires is that real property has to either go through uh, a, a pass through a will and therefore through the probate procedure of a will or through one of the other codified mechanisms that are specified by law, which we will talk about, we can talk about later. Let me, oh. let me hammer this home really quick because yeah. I, I get this question a lot in my practice, and that is, who is the will addressed to? Isn't it addressed to a court? I mean, in the end, isn't it a court that has to read a will? The court has to probate the will, and that means they have to determine that it is your last will and testament, uh, and therefore, and not just a movie script or a grocery list or you know the, something like that. They have to determine that it was your intention, and it's your directions for what you want done but the typical will designates an executor to carry out your wishes an individual Mm -hmm. that you want to that the court will then appoint to carry out whatever you specified in your will but that will has to a will is by it definition instructions to a probate court and judge so wills don't avoid probate no 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 in fact wills invite probate if you, but you do need a will for a just-in-case because, and I'll just give you an example. Um, Oklahoma is a state where lots of people own fractionalized mineral interests, which are a kind of real property, real estate. Maybe Aunt Tallulah, that you haven't seen since you were three years old, died and left, uh, or, or it came down to you through her estate, a fractional interest in minerals. Now, you never knew you were going to get that. You never planned for it. You never wrote, put it into your trust. You never conveyed it into joint tenancy or something else that might avoid probate. But you have that. If you don't have a will, well, you, you need that will need to pass under a will unless you have made some other provision for it. So... Um, so, yes, a will is an instruction to the court of how you want your property to pass, what to be done with it. And you can have a residual clause in a will that says, and all uh, other property, whether I've listed it correctly or not. Mm-hmm. But that's different from specifying what you want to do with Blackacre and other, every other piece of property or interest that you have. Now, when you... When you execute that will, it is revocable until the time of your death. So you can change it, amend it, avoid it, start over, 
get mad, stomp off, rewrite it, and all of that. And and revocable is the two dollar version of revocable. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> it means you can yeah, as long as you're competent, mm-hmm. you can make changes to it. Exactly, and changes to your directions to what you. Uh, who you've designated as your executor and to carry out your wishes and so forth. Uh, the reason why wills need to be re-examined periodically is circumstances change. You acquire real estate, you sell real estate, you acquire um, an anniversary ring or a boat or something else. And, and so it's not a once, do it once and it lasts for life. Uh, it's, you will need to have checkups whenever your circumstances change. And if they don't change, then periodically when the circumstances of those around you change. I typically recommend that people kind of review some of these ideas about every five years. I also recommend that they don't try to plan much longer than five years because uh, most of us life changes um, slowly at first and then quickly. (laughs) <laughs> that's that's right. Well, then upon the uh, the testator, and the testator is the person who's writing the will. So upon my death, uh, my executor will, because you should tell your executor that you've named them as executor. Uh, so uh, some family member or the executor will present that will to the court hopefully through an attorney um, that knows what they're doing, and they will get the will admitted to probate. And then there will be notices to creditors or anyone who might have a claim against the estate, and you publish it in the local paper, and there's some formalities to go through. And maybe there's lots of property, and some of it needs to be sold, and maybe that'll happen, and sometimes that takes months, and sometimes it takes years to get all of that done. And then ultimately... Uh, there, there are provisions that you can do a partial distribution and that sort of thing. But ultimately, <clears throat> when all of the creditors have been paid and any um, debt settled and specific bequests of jewelry and pianos and that sort of thing, then the, there will be a final accounting and the judge will then do a final order that distributes the property to all the beneficiaries. That could take a long time. And so that's the way wills work, and that's what people try to avoid having to do, but it's good to have a will mm-hmm. nevertheless. So again, what I want you hearing from this is you are in the river. If you are breathing and you are competent and you own things, you are in this river. You're in this legal world. You are a participant. You can say, I don't want to think about it. You can say, I don't want to deal with it. You can say, we'll put it off until two years from now or four years from now, but you're begging borrowing trouble. And um, this is one of those areas that I think every couple, every individual needs to learn some basics about. Um, And they're probably going to need to get some advice or some help in in getting some of these things addressed in order to avoid um, creating some really big messes. If you think what Linda just described as a mess in describing the probate process, it is only tiny in compared to the process of not having a will at all, because that gets worse. So, Linda, um, I know there's other documents that people typically have. Yes. May I talk about the uh, powers of attorney? You bet. Okay. A power of attorney is simply that. It's a power, an authorization that you give to someone, and the person you give it to, this is more vocab words, 
the person you give it to is your attorney in fact. So a power of you can't say I'm their power of attorney. You say I gave them my power of attorney and they are my attorney in fact. That's the lingo. Everyone, everyone should have one of these because <clears throat> uh, the law, Oklahoma law, allows individuals to designate someone to take care of their uh, assets if they are no longer competent to do so. Maybe they're in a car wreck. Maybe they're in a coma. Uh, maybe they have Alzheimer's. Maybe, maybe they um, have some circumstance where they cannot make decisions for themselves. Your attorney, in fact, you can authorize to make those decisions for you. And Oklahoma law now allows a separate durable power of attorney to designate designate someone to make your health care decisions. And so those two attorneys, in fact, need not be the same person. And frequently they are not because you might um, have one sibling or one child uh, who is very good with, who's very organized, very good with money, very good with making business decisions, uh, very strong in terms of, well, it's not what I would do, but since this is what you've specified and made clear you want done, I'll do it. You may have another sibling or parent or friend uh, who loves you dearly and will care for you uh, to the extent of their capacity, and yet they would not have the personal wherewithal, whether you call it courage or strength of personality or qualms or whatever you call it, they might not be able to make difficult health care decisions. And you can imagine all the varieties that come up with that. Sure. Okay, so everyone, regardless of how much money you have in the bank, how much uh, property you own, you need a durable power of attorney, and you can do one that covers both health care and your uh, assets, or you can do two. Now, let me tell you, let me ask you a question mm-hmm. that I already know the answer to. Yeah. Um, now, I don't need one of these with my spouse because because we're married, they have the right to act for me, correct? Uh, I wouldn't... No. No, that's not correct. <laughs> we kind of think that because we're married, we no, get to no, do no, things, right? No, but we no. don't. In this world today, the fact that you're married does not mean that you can change the title on something that's owned in your spouse's name. It doesn't mean that you can tell the doctor what's going to happen. It doesn't mean that you get to speak for somebody legally if they're out of the country and you need to do some business or close a piece. You are locked out. Am I correct? That's correct. And the hospitals and other health care providers are getting, uh, because of those doggone lawyers, uh, they are getting more uh, strict about whom they'll even divulge information to, uh, about whom they'll t- who they will take directions from, and that sort of thing. If you've had a surgical procedure in recent years, you probably know they ask you if you have a DNR the moment you check into the hospital. Do you have a... Um, Directive to physicians, do you have this and that? And even Mm -hmm. then, uh, they want, uh, for their own protection against liability, uh, they want to have it in black and white. Yes. And so everyone needs needs a durable power of attorney. And if if you want to, then a separate one for health care. Let me add one more group that people often forget. 
And that is you have a child who turns 18 years old and you assume that you're still their parent and that you still can do all the things that you were able to do the day before. And those things are no longer the case. So if you have a, a, an 18 year old or a 19 year old, you're sending them off to college, you might want to consider getting a POA for them in case something were to happen and you still need to show up and make decisions you are not in a position to do that after their 18th birthday without some planning. Yes, that's correct. And some medical institutions are uh, more lenient than others, but we all know what direction that's going. Um, and so you really, you really must have this. And since we're talking about children, you may want to defer this to later, but um, a will is a place that you can designate someone that you nominate to the court to become the guardian of your minor children if you're the last to die of the two Correct. parents. Um, however, in Oklahoma, uh, if a child is 14 years old, after they're 14, they can nominate who they want to live with. And so this is a conversation that involves parents, really, of, of young teenagers. Uh, you Interesting. need to be thinking about that, yes. Um, Oklahoma law says that you can designate it in a will or other written document. And so since we're trying to avoid probating wills, I like to suggest that there, there's actually another document that you're entitled nomination of guardian. You can, you can put it, it just says, in a will or other written instrument. And so you don't want to have to probate that will just to nominate a guardian. Okay, so let's talk about a couple of the other documents and then... We'll get to that word that everybody talks about, which is a trust, that magical trust. Well, um, it probably goes without saying, but I'll say it anyway. Whatever assets you have, take your little phone video camera and video all around your apartment, your house, your backyard, your storage unit, your garage and all of that, and then take that video and make an inventory of your assets. When you go to an estate planning lawyer, they will likely ask you for an inventory, and that's just, oh, it feels like such drudge work. But now in the age of, uh, of uh, video cameras, it's easy to do that, either store it digitally or write it up from there. And when you're talking about your various accounts, whether it's a retirement account or something at work or a bank account, whatever it may be, don't just say, I have a, a, an IRA and I, or I have a bank account at these three banks. Um, give those account numbers and make sure that you have the underlying documents nearby. Mm -hmm. So there's, it's just, it's homework. I know it is. But that's what, re <laughs> that's what responsible adults have to do. And yes. So that, that inventory will save you money before you ever go to the estate planning lawyer's office. You have it at hand. Mm -hmm. And then you think about um, and, and talk with your loved ones, either your executor that you want to nominate or maybe even the person to whom you give your health care power of attorney and your business power of attorney. You talk about your wishes and you can say, I love my children, but they are well provided for by this, this, and this. And so, as you know, I've always had a heart for maybe it'll be African missions or maybe it'll be inner city work or maybe it'll be um, aspiring musicians or something like that. 
And so you can then specify how much discretion you want to give to that person, or you can specify certain um, beneficiaries that, um, that you want your assets to go to or you want them to hold in mind when they're making your health care decisions. And that decision may be so important that it involves assets that could deplete your entire, I mean, it, it could involve expenses that could deplete your entire estate. If you have to be in a facility comatose for years, is that something you want? You talk to them. Write it down, but then you'll have to have these conversations. And because I'm older, and I don't think old is a four-letter word, I'm happy to be old, but um, because I'm old, I can say with some confidence that people uh, of a certain age are a little uh, unwilling to talk about this, certainly not over Starbucks, (laughs) certainly not even over... uh, uh, a conversation dinner in someone's home it's a little uncomfortable because it issues involving death and dying have been taboo his, historically for many thousands of years and so uh, maybe the younger generation is better at it but begin doing it now and get comfortable with with just musing about it in your private moments would i want this and would i want that it doesn't have to be the dreaded oh, I've got to face the grim reaper today and go do this. <laughs> Just be thinking about who would I like to bless with my assets or in deciding how long I want to live versus how well I want to live, quality versus quantity of life. Be thinking about those as you go along, and it's not really painful to think about it. You can, you can do it. And I think there's a whole issue of communicating um, not just with your spouse but um, – communicating with your kids. So, Jeff, um, in your family, was there ever any discussion about whether there was an estate plan or what would happen with stuff? What would happen if somebody got sick? What would happen if, you know, your parents passed away? Where would you go? Actually, yes. My, my, we have an estate plan and had, spoke to an attorney years ago when the kids were little. Well, I'm starting with your, you the family you grew up in. Oh, and my, oh, are you kidding? No. <laughs> Although, as an adult, uh, I don't know how old I was at the time, probably in my 30s, my, my mom, you know, it let me know that there was a plan in place and where mm-hmm. to find the documents, and we had conversations Good. about that. So, you know, I, I at least know the basics. But, right. you know, when I was... 20, I had no idea what was going on with but all But with your family, you're, you guys have had more communication yes. about it. I would expect that. Um, but, but yeah, and, you know, we, we kind of think of, well, we're, today we're talking about, you know, young people working things out in their own family. But there's a reason to get comfortable with not only these topics and with some of the rules to this game, but there's also the thing that comes later, which is once you get a little comfortable with your own story it's a little bit easier to reach up to your parents and say, Hey, you know, mom or dad or mom and dad, we've, we've been working on our stuff and we've learned a few things and we're curious, you know, what have you guys done? And is there something that we need to be thinking about Mm -hmm. Um, and start a conversation about what, what they, what they have prepared for. 
Um, it may be very possible that you're integral to that plan and don't even know it yet. Um, but these are these are all issues that we will face. These generational handoffs, um, these changing of the guard, um, are things that we will face. We don't schedule them. They sometimes show up very early or in strange ways. And if we're not prepared for them, if we haven't done the work and had the conversations and learned some of the vocabulary and some of the rules, um, we find ourselves more often as victims of the system um, than people who are, are working our way through them intentionally. And I would add that there are several ways to enter in or to broach that subject uh, in an informal way. And one of them can be, uh, I was just reading this article that said the, um, the most expensive uh, six weeks of a person's life or the last six weeks that they're alive in the hospital, and the typical cost is, and fill in the blank, but the word that comes after is million. Uh, it, it, it's millions of dollars, and to keep someone alive on a, a ventilator or, you know, on a respirator or in this and this and this, and say, isn't that appalling? And, and so it doesn't have to be about you and me, mom and dad. It can just be, can you believe this? Man, uh, I don't think I would want to do that. I, and, you can, and you can enter into it that way. Or you can um, mention something that you read somewhere or what a doctor told you or I've been thinking about this and just begin talking, uh, musing about it personally in an informal way and then your parents or your friends can insert what they want. I remember my own grandfather, this was before antibiotics, said pneumonia is the old man's friend. That was his slogan because if you got pneumonia, you were likely to die from it before antibiotics. Well, that's not the case anymore. And so uh, it's, those decisions in some ways have gotten more difficult mm-hmm. with advanced medicine. Yeah. And so there's reason for us to be having these conversations and not in a morbid way. Mm -hmm. Do I want to deplete the entire family's assets just to keep me alive those last six weeks? Well, maybe I do, maybe I don't, but I need to be thinking about it. So we're taking people a little bit longer than we normally do, and I'm going to ask that we um, cover in basic this this trust that everybody seems to be saying is is the way to go and cover just a few ideas of it. Um, before we wrap up. Um, so we've made the case that probate is um, long, complex, can be expensive, it's public. So if I don't want to probate, um, then I have some choices. And one of the common tools um, that we see in our industry is the formation of a revocable trust or a living trust, as some people call them. Can you tell us what is that and why is it that it doesn't have to go through the probate system. In short, a revocable trust or a living trust is a private contract between a trustor, a settlor, and a trustee, someone you trust. And the operable, the important word here is trust. And it's a high, high fiduciary duty that the trustee has. They have to be uh, owe you the highest duty of care that trust is a contract that is then enforceable by the court, but you don't have to go through the courts to make it happen. So you it, can go through the full 
distribution of trust assets, if, if, a, if a, a trust owns everything in an estate, you can go through the full process of distributing an estate without having to go through a court procedure. Is that correct? That's correct. But this is for the diligent because this trust has to be funded. You can say, I give you everything, but if everything is not specified or you can direct your trustee, uh, here, I'm going to give you this for you to keep for me, but there is no this there, it, it, it's a nullity. It's void. So you have to fund that trust by putting specifically your real, real property and your other assets that you want in the trust and then keeping that up as you acquire other property. So this is why we started the podcast with ownership. This is the payoff. If you stayed with us this long, this is the payoff. <laughs> because in order to basically avoid probate, one of the things that I tell clients is you have to die penniless. The court has no interest in settling an estate that has no assets. And the way that you have no assets is you change things. You change them from joint tenants or individual ownership you change the registration on the account or the title or the deed or whatever it is into the name of your trust. That is the mechanism that I understand is how we move things into a trust. Is that fair? Yes, that is fair. And the ad- other advantages are that trusts are portable. They're, um, they're private. They're efficient. It doesn't, ne- it doesn't need to take years to to transfer ownership through the trust you just need a diligent trustee someone you can trust and it can happen quickly and furthermore uh, it's often far less expensive because executors are often paid Uh, there are court fees if you are probating a will and with trusts most people do not provide for the, uh, in a modest size trust. If you were a millionaire, it would be different probably. But most people uh, just have the trust reimburse their trustee for expenses or they specify some modest amount of payment for the, for the effort. And, uh, and so it's also uh, saves money. But mainly, you can tailor it to whatever you want as so long as you fund it and are diligent. So the um, analogy that I use with clients a lot is I always talk about Walt Disney. There was a time when Walt Disney owned Walt Disney. (laughs) We're all familiar with the park and we're all familiar with, you know, the brand that he created. But when Walt Disney passed away, that was not the end of Walt Disney. They had a corporation which kind of, we kind of, know what companies are. They're a separate entity that you set up that owns a business. And we know that if the owner or the the person who's in charge of that company dies, the company doesn't die. It keeps going. There are other people that step into the role and fulfill the role of the company. And so I kind of have tried to describe to my families that a trust is somewhat like that Walt Disney Corporation that continues on and it follows whatever instructions we decide to put into the body of that trust document. Um, So it's not magic. It's only as good as the quality of the instructions that we put in it. It's only as good as our diligence in maintaining the ownership stuff and maintaining the changes in life and, and outcomes that we desire. And then the last thing, and maybe you could talk a little bit about this also, is 
there is a belief, and this is, this is such a frustration for me, there's a belief that if I move my stuff correctly, that I have been successful in um, taking care of my family. And my stuff is not my family. My stuff is not my legacy. The quality of um, how successful I am at equipping my kids to move on and have an abundant life will not be strictly decided by how well my stuff transfers when I die. Agreed 100%. And furthermore, wills are, and estate planning documents, are not the are not the place to settle old sibling rivalries or to express them and enact them. And the law doesn't really give a rip about that sort of thing. And it will be a very unhappy thing if you... If your children end up uh, squabbling over that brown velvet dress or the the favorite necklace or something like that, and so the best, the overall word is communication and transmission of your values, why you're living, and then all this other is just the legal documentation of what you've already said verbally and in writing and in your letters and what you've what you've taught your family and um, some people even write into their documents if anyone contests this will uh, then I hereby say uh, they get one dollar mm-hmm. or if anyone contests you know so therefore they don't want any squabbling like that of course it usually makes somebody the recipients furious but that often has to happen because so many people um, leave things untidied up, and we don't all get to tie everything right. up with a bow. But if you're living and listening to this, you still have opportunity to designate what you want done with your body while you're living this side of the grave, what you want done uh, with your assets, what you th- feel is important, and you can speak it even through these estate planning documents. But be sure and speak it also while you're alive, to your friends, to your family, to that great cloud of witnesses. That's, uh, that's your context. Thank you, Linda. I, I want to wrap up with this thought, and that is that this is not a departure from our normal material. You may be going, wow, this is a bunch of legal muckety-muck, and, and, and you've, you've convinced me it's complicated. You've convinced me that we need to think about it. But what I'm really wanting to convince you is that this journey that Jeff and I have called you all to be part of, which is understanding what's most important to you as a family, understanding and agreeing on your shared values, that all really needs to happen at some solid level before you are equipped and ready to start putting your documents together, before you're going to be in a position to do any good planning. Um, Anybody can move stuff. Lawyers can help you move stuff. Documents can help you move stuff, but it is not intentionally in alignment with um, what your core values are unless you go through that process and let that be kind of your guiding North Star as you move through all of this. So um, let me just leave you with this idea. Um, Everybody needs to do some estate planning. Everybody needs to learn the basic rules of how the system works, of how the game works. Um, And so... Hopefully, even if this was more than you were ready to hear, even if this is a little bit over your head, hopefully this just draws you into um, a willingness to get started 
um, and learn a little bit um, and start the process of participating in this adult life. Thank you so much, Linda. And thank you for having me. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to leave us a like, comment, or review. And tell your friends. New episodes drop weekly. Learn more about Jeff and John at relational-media.com. 